This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are in week number 12, the final installment of our series called No Average Joe. This has been a series in the life of Joseph. Uh, We have been through it with him. From the very beginning all the way through, uh, we have seen the ups, we've seen the downs, we've seen him promoted, we've seen him thrown and cast aside. Uh, We have seen all of the different things that have happened in the life of uh, Joseph. And I am looking forward to today's uh, message and sermon as we close out this series because I believe it kind of brings it all together. You see, Joseph performed no major miracle. Uh, Joseph had nothing crazy necessarily happen in his life where you said, oh man, there was the Red Sea parting. Or there was God calling down fire. And there was nothing like that in Joseph's life. Joseph was like you and he was like me in that he lived a normal, average life. But God used him in an extraordinary way. The title of today's message is simply this, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to turn there to Genesis chapter 50, whether you have a a physical Bible, you have an app. If you don't have either one, the verses will be on the screens for your convenience today. Before we read, I just want to say if this is your first time at Keystone, we are honored that you are here. We do not take it lightly whenever someone comes to our church for the first time. We know that there are many other options and available places for you to worship, and we don't take it lightly. It's our honor that you would worship um, with us today. If, we, if I have not yet met you, please make sure I meet you afterwards. If you, did not, if you were not able to stop by our tent on the way in, make sure you stop by that table on the way out. We have a gift for you and your family just by way of thanking you for being here. Before I get started, uh, our ladies had an awesome ladies activity this Thursday night. How many of you ladies were there? Wait, raise your hand. All right, cool. Um, I heard Karen can get up and recite all the Old Testament books of the Bible for everyone. So that was the only thing spiritual that went on in this game night. I'm just going to tell you guys that. I've seen seen picture and video evidence otherwise. So... uh, But I appreciate that, and I appreciate all of you that came uh, to that. And once again, as we enjoy the stage of life that our church is in, I want to encourage you to take advantage of those times. Um, It is is so much easier for us to do those things right now where we're at in our church. And so don't get so caught up and miss out on those things. And then as our church, as God continues to send people, which he's doing, as God continues to send people, we're going to have to be much more strategic in how we do things. And so take advantage of where we are. Man, I love where God has us. And uh, praise the Lord. Side note, back into the text here. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly require us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brothers also went and fell down before his face. 
And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Once again, remember back at the beginning, Joseph prophesied that, they, that his brothers would bow to him. This is now multiple times that they have bowed to him. They said, Behold, we be thy servants. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, illuminate this story, illuminate this text, illuminate the truth that you have for us today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be receptive of what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. God, remove anything that I would say that would take away from your word. God, remove anything that I would say that would, that would cause someone's mind to wander away from what you have for us today in your word. And God, we believe your word is the, our final authority. And God, if your word says it, that settles it. And God, today we want to hear from your word. We want to look into your word. We want to apply your word to our lives this morning. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about Joseph forgiving his brothers initially. Joseph's brothers come to him after they were in a famine. They head to Egypt. They don't know they're coming to their brother Joseph, but they show up as Joseph is second in command in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. His brothers show up to get food for themselves and for the family. Joseph obviously recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian. He talks and walks like an Egyptian. All right, we'll go ahead and get that out of the way. All right, he does do that. And that was before the song was written. Um, he did that. But he is an Egyptian. His name has been changed. He, he, he speaks their language. And so they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he goes through this process of, of truthfully, I believe, testing their repentance and testing their spirit and their attitude about this, this repentance that they need to show in their lives towards what happened to Joseph. And we see... We saw Joseph reveal himself uh, to his brothers, I am Joseph. And our title last week was, I am Joseph and you are forgiven. I am Joseph, you are uh, forgiven. And after his, his reveal of who he was and his, his, his verbal statement of forgiveness, he follows through with restoration. He restores the relationship with his family and and the brothers who had planned to kill Joseph, the brothers who had settled on selling him as a slave into the land of Egypt, those brothers, he now moved them into the land of Goshen. He now moved them closer to him so that he could help take care of him with his blessing and with his love and with his provision. And side note, I'm thankful that God doesn't just forgive me and then leave me there. I'm thankful that God forgives me and then brings me closer to Him. He brings me closer where He can provide and He can love and He can show me grace and He can show me mercy on a daily basis. I'm glad God brings us into that restoring relationship. But over the next several years, Jacob, who is Joseph's father, sees his health decline. And he ends up passing away, and they do uh, those next few chapters after chapter 45 through chapter 50 kind of show a little bit of that. They show some genealogies, which is all of your favorite places to read in the Bible. I know uh, you look forward to those. And then there, there's other story there of Jacob um, lay, being laid to rest. His time has come. 
um, and he passes away. I think it's pretty awesome that Jacob and Joseph were able to spend the latter years of, of Jacob's life in happiness. I think it's pretty awesome that this father who thought he had lost his son and was in grieving and mourning for many, many years was able to spend his golden years of his life restored to his son with his other sons there, with not only his first favorite son, Joseph, but his second favorite son, Benjamin. They were all together as a family. And I love that, how beautiful it is when this relationship is restored. I say this this morning, doing the right thing so often turns into a beautiful thing. Doing the right thing, Joseph did the right thing, and it turned into such a beautiful thing to watch his father in his latter years of his life uh, being around his family and the happiness and joy that that brought. And by the way, that time between Genesis chapter 45 and Genesis chapter 50, the time after he originally reveals himself to his brothers and his father passes away, in my opinion, uh, this proves that Joseph's forgiveness was legitimate. Those next few years prove the legitimacy of Joseph's forgiveness. The brothers were concerned, as they say in chapter 50 here, that Joseph had merely forgiven them for their father's sake. And once their father would pass away, certainly he would remove his hand of love and his hand of blessing and his hand of forgiveness from them because he only forgave them for his father's sake, but that was not true. What we see is that Joseph was modeling biblical forgiveness. And let me say this, true biblical forgiveness has no end. True biblical forgiveness is long-term Forgiveness. True biblical forgiveness is not what I call Indian forgiveness. Have you ever heard the term Indian giver? You know what that means? You give and you take it back. Now, a, lot of, a lot of children are that way. They, like, they have this little moment of Christianity. Briefly. And they're in here today, so praise the Lord. They have a little moment, brief moment of Christianity. They're like, I want to give this to so and so. And then the reality starts setting in that they're about to give something away and they're like, um, hey, dad, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. And, and we do that. And it's like, oh, gotcha, give it back. You know, and, but you know what the truth is? Uh, forgiveness is that way. We don't want to be uh, Indian forgivers. And, and basically what we say is, hey, I forgive you. But if you ever do anything like that again, it's over. Hey, I forgive you, but don't you dare. Hey, I forgive you, but... No, biblical forgiveness is I forgive you, period. It's not I forgive you, comma. It's I forgive you, period. And, and this is what we see here with Joseph. We see true biblical forgiveness demonstrated by Joseph not only saying that his brothers were forgiven, but by moving them close to him, by restoring their relationship, by making sure they were provided for, and by continuing to forgive them even after the death of his father. I say it this way, Joseph was legit. Joseph was legit. When he said it, he meant it. There's a lesson there for all of us to learn. Joseph was so legit. <laughs> Joseph was just like Jesus. He was just like Jesus. You see, Jesus does not simply say we're forgiven verbally, and then, and then leave us there. He says we're forgiven verbally, and he pulls us 
And He draws us. And He moves us out of the land of this world. And He moves us out of the land of this sin. And He moves us into a real close relationship with Him. He takes care of us for years to come. His forgiveness has no conditions. His forgiveness has zero strings attached. And for those of us this morning that have experienced the forgiveness that only Jesus brings, let me say this, you have complete forgiveness in Him. No need to bring up the sin anymore. No need to bring up the past anymore because you have legitimate, long-term, total forgiveness from Jesus. No strings attached. No conditions. Total forgiveness. Joseph, the precursor to Jesus, the Old Testament parallel to Jesus, demonstrates and shows us in this passage, in this text, in this story, what true Jesus-centered forgiveness looks like like we can now love and serve others in freedom because we have been set free by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that was just introduction and we're going to get into the passage today our truth that we want to highlight as we close out this series as you can see Joseph's brothers are a little worried about Joseph's commitment to forgiveness and Joseph responds with the most Uh, uh, gospel-centered, grace-centered, forgiveness-centered, Bible-centered, Jesus-centered statement that we want to unpack this morning. They question him and they say, Hey, Joseph, now that our father's dead, are you going to go back on your word? And he says this in verse 19. Check it out. He says, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you you thought evil against me, but God meant it. For good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Number one this morning, and the outline is very simple, but I believe it's powerful. Number one this morning, forgiven people can live fearlessly. Forgiven people can live fearlessly. Look at verse 19. The very first words Joseph says unto them. He says what? Fear not. You don't need to live in fear. He addresses his brothers with a simple opening statement that says, hey, fear not. Hey, Reuben, my oldest brother. Hey, hey, Simeon. Hey, I forgive you. I have blessed you. I've given you provision. I've given you food. I've given you water. I've given you a place to live. Stop living in fear. Stop living in fear. Fear. There is nothing to ever revisit. When I told you I forgave you, I forgave you. Stop living in fear. What were they afraid of? They were afraid that they were going to get sent back to their land. They were afraid they were going to get removed from that situation. They were going to lose their provision. But I believe more importantly, they were afraid that they were going to lose that relationship that they had with Joseph. Our brother is back. Our brother loves us. He cares about us. He forgave us. Hey, our dad, everything is good again. And they were afraid and they were living in fear that they were going to lose that relationship. And let me say this, if you have a legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you cannot and you will not and you never will lose that relationship. We're about to go into the book of Ephesians next Sunday. I cannot wait for that. In the very first chapter of Ephesians, we're going to talk about eternal security. How when Jesus Christ puts his stamp on you that you are his child, there is nothing that can take that away from us. And we don't have to live in fear this morning because Jesus has forgiven 
us. And these brothers and, and their family didn't have to live in fear this morning because they were forgiven. They were forgiven. Nothing to revisit. No scab to scratch back open. No reason to dwell on it. It's finished. It's final. You can live fearlessly this morning. And the truth is, I believe some of us in here have been crippled by our fears. Some of us this morning, we live and, and, and we are so uh, hesitant and we're so skeptical and we, we live so passively this morning and we're held down and we're held back in fear, afraid to take steps forward that God puts in front of us. And maybe, just maybe, it's because we've not really worshipped Him and basked in and completely comprehended His total and eternal forgiveness. Can we live fearlessly this morning? Constantly held back by fear. Constantly crippled by fear. You will never live your best life for Jesus if your best life is living in fear. You will never live your best life for Jesus if you live that life in fear. You can't. You can't. I say this about being afraid. What's the worst thing that can happen to a child of God? What's the very worst thing that could happen to a child of God. You know what that worst thing is? We die. That's the worst thing that could happen. And you know what happens when you die? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The worst thing that could happen. So you know what? I've got to change my mindset. And I've got to say the worst thing that could happen to me is I could go spend eternity with my Savior. I'm not living in fear anymore. I'm not going to let fear cripple me. Hey, this is just a job. Hey, this is just that. This is just a decision I've got to make. I'm just going to move forward. The worst thing that could happen to me is that I go home and be with my Savior. It's the worst thing that could happen. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have purchased you. I have bought you back. How did he buy you back? With the blood of his forgiveness. His forgiveness purchased you you are His. Don't live in fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when I say this, to live fearlessly, I don't mean live carelessly. Living fearlessly does not equal living carelessly. No, living fearlessly means I live with power, I live with love, and I, I live with a sound mind. I make proper decisions fearlessly. I make biblical decisions fearlessly. I make difficult decisions fearlessly with power, with love, and with a sound mind. This morning, child of God, you are forgiven. Can you say it with me? We're going to say these three words. I am forgiven. Can you say it? One, two, three. Ready? I am forgiven. Let's say it one more time because I can't hear you. You ready? I am forgiven. You know what? Some of you ought to wake up tomorrow morning and before you go to work, you ought to look in that mirror. You say, Josh, what is this? I'm just telling you. You ought to wake up, you ought to look in the mirror, and you ought to say, I am forgiven. I can live without fear. Some of you, some of you teenage boys and younger boys in here, you just need to wake up and look in the mirror. Just in general, right? Just to, 
But let's take it a step further. Let's take two steps. Wake up, look in the mirror. I'm forgiven. Live fearlessly. Don't live in fear. You've been forgiven. Hey, listen, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, I hope you understand this. When he died on the cross, he was dying for sins of the past, sins of the present, and sins of the future. How many of you understand every sin you've committed in your life was a sin in the future? They've already been forgiven. Hey, if we beg for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Is that what the Bible says? Hey, if we, if we come out and we say, God, here we... No, no, he says if we just confess our sins, just confess them. You're forgiven already. You're forgiven. It's done. I am forgiven. I will not live in fear. Forgiven people can live fearlessly this morning. And some of us need to stand up and look ourselves in the eye in the mirror and say, Jesus Christ lives in me. I've experienced his forgiveness and I will live the life that he has put before me. I will. With power, with love, and with a sound mind. Secondly, this morning, and I have to do this often. Get ready. I'm about to preach to Josh. Number two, Joseph put himself in his place. Joseph put himself in his place. Uh, look, look at verse, look at back in verse 19. Joseph said unto them, fear not. What does he say next? Am I in the place of God? Am I God? It's a rhetorical question, obviously, but am I God? The answer is obviously no. And I'll be honest with you, I have to preach this to myself over and over and over again. I believe all of us, to a certain degree, struggle with the sin of being a control freak. Can, I mean, can I, I know y'all don't know everybody around here. It's all good. Can we, can we witness to that? Anybody in here struggle sometimes? We, I better see some men raising their hands right now with being a control freak. Every wife or boyfriend, girlfriend needs to be like, elbow but we struggle with I struggle with the sin of like I want to be in control I am the God of my life but Joseph put himself in his place and he said am I am I God Joseph when confronted about the extent of his forgiveness when confronted about the legitimacy of forgiveness he says am I God. And what he is saying there is that our forgiveness is not based upon ourselves. We are not Indian forgivers. If our, if our forgiveness was based upon ourselves, whenever we didn't feel like forgiving or following through on that, we would take it back. But our forgiveness is not based upon ourselves. Our forgiveness, Ephesians 4.32 tells us, is based upon God. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We talked about this verse a little bit last week, but it is true here, it's not about you. You aren't God. I am not the God of my life. And you are not the God of your life. He is. Joseph says, am I God? No. And let me just say this. You aren't God. You are not the God of your life. And one of the main problems that I believe that I have in my life and that maybe you have in your life is that we always want to play God. We always want complete control. We want things done how we want it and when we want it and for who we want it and for how long we want it. We want everything to happen because we want to be in control. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, God wants to say, if you'll understand that you're not in control, you know what that brings? Fear. We just talked about it. It's all working together. You're afraid because you're not in control. 
Okay, but you're forgiven. So you're not in control. So you don't have to live in fear. It's like having, it's like going on a NASCAR road track. Not just the ones where you make a left turn, you make a left turn, you make a left turn. Not that one. I'm talking about one where you actually have to steer and you got to think. Not to say the NASCAR drivers aren't thinking. I'm just saying. I know I'm in North Carolina. I don't want to, you know, sorry, Dale. You know, I'm, we're, we're good. But I'm talking about a road course where it's like you're taking lefts and rights. Woo! And you're going 180 miles an hour and you're rolling, right? You know what? If I'm in control of that car, I'm going I'm to mess that up. I mean, I think I'm a good driver, but I mean, I know my limitations. But you know what? If I'm in that car with a professional NASCAR driver, guess what? I'm not in control. And if I, if I truly understand how awesome that, per that driver is, I can live without fear. Take me on the course. Let's go. Take a right, take a left. I'm good. That's fine. I can live without fear because I know the one who is in control. And we must know the one who is in control of our lives in order to experience this, this, uh, this freedom in letting go. This freedom in giving it over to God. The quicker that we can get to a place in our lives where we say it's not about me and it's not what I want, it's about God and what He wants. And the way that I look at it is this, get off the throne of your life. Hey Josh, get off of the throne of your life. You're not the king of your life. Get off the throne of your life. Stop acting like it. Stop making all the decisions in the world for you and your family without, without consulting the one who is the one who knows all. The one who knows everything. Get off of the throne of your life. This is God's life that he wants to live through you. This is not your life to live however you want to live it. It's God's life for those of us that have trusted Christ. It's God's life that he wants to now live through us through his spirit. When we take God off the throne and we replace God with man, we replace God with ourselves, we have entered into dangerous territory. There should be one king and there should be one ruler. There should be one person in charge in your life. And it's not you. It's God. It's God. How many of you have ever heard the statement, there are too many cooks in the kitchen? Heard that statement? You know what that means. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. That means there's too many people in charge. At the end of the day, there's the buck has to stop with somebody. The way that our church is structured, I like to look at it this way. We have a very horizontal um, uh, makeup in our leadership, a very horizontal view in our leadership. We don't have a vertical view. It's not the pastor and then this guy on the totem pole and then this lady on the totem pole and then this guy and then this. It's not that at all. We have a very horizontal, organic view on that. But at the end of the day, Let's be very honest. At the end of the day, the buck at, for this church ends up stopping with me. That's a lot of weight for me to bear every week. But at the end of the day, while we have people in leadership and while we have people that serve and we have people in this room that give 100% to this church, we have people that work full-time jobs and they come and serve on top of that and they do so much. But at the end of the day, the buck has to stop with someone. And at the end of the day, in your life and in my life, the buck needs to stop there. The buck needs to stop there. He is the king. He is the ruler. And this morning, maybe the only decision that you need to make in this is taking yourself off of the leadership throne of your life. 
Taking yourself off the leadership throne of your life. It's a pride thing. We don't ever like to think that someone else knows more or can do better. But at the end of the day, we can't see in the future. We don't know what's li- what lies ahead. But I know the one who holds the future. I know the one who does know what's lying ahead. And at the end of the day, I love this quote, I don't have to see if I know the one who sees. Hey, I don't have to see if I know the one who sees. None of us like to be in those vulnerable moments. None of us like to be led through a dark hallway with a blindfold on, someone taking us by the hand and leading us. But at the end of the day, if, if they've got night vision goggles on, lead me, please. Lead me. Lead me. We can't see. And you know what? I don't have to see if I know the one who Sees. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. At the end of the day, we need every now and then a revival of putting ourselves in our place. And that is under him. That is not as co-pilot, because a co-pilot just tells the pilot what to do, gets in the way. No, 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 I'm not the co-pilot. I'm in the back seat, and I'm not going to be an annoying backseat driver. I'm in the back seat, period. That's it. That's all. Thirdly, this morning, so first, first of all, we have that forgiven people can live fearlessly, number one. Secondly, we have Joseph putting himself in his place. But then thirdly, this morning, Joseph makes a bold declaration over his life. Joseph makes a bold declaration over his life. Look at verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it, I say this, for good. God meant it for good. The hurts, the pains, the evil, the sin, the bad, the pit... The prison, the false accusations, the challenges, the fights. God meant it for good. I can't fathom that. Joseph, you mean when your dad propped you up and gave you the coat of many colors and blessed you over your older brothers? You mean God meant that for good? Yeah. Wait a minute, Joseph, you mean so when your brothers obviously got mad about that and frustrated and after you proclaimed a dream to them and told them a dream, they got angry. You mean those same brothers who plotted to kill you? God meant that for good? Yeah. You mean that those brothers, you know, the one brother had a little bit of a heart and he talked them out of killing you. And so they just said, okay, we'll do the next best thing. We'll sell them into slavery. You mean God meant that for good? You mean that when you got into that land of Egypt as a slave, you were bought by a man named Potiphar and you worked your way up and and God seemingly was blessing you and then Potiphar's wife accuses you of sexual assault? And it wasn't true? You mean God meant that for good? Yeah. 
You mean after that when you were thrown in prison and then once again God seemed to bless you and you worked your way up in prison and you, you, you were second in command and, and the butler and the baker were there and you, you actually helped them out and you told them what the interpretation of their dream was and the baker ended up passing away but the butler was restored to the cupbearer to the king. And you just said, hey, remember me. Just tell the king about me. And you know what? You were forgotten. Left in prison two more years. You mean God meant that for good? I mean, I was wrongfully imprisoned in the first place. And then I add two more years onto it for good behavior. You mean God meant that for good? Yes. And we know, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The truth is right now, I just want you to get this and I want this to sink in that, that God is working in your life right now for good. For good. And I don't know what your hurts are. And I don't know what your pain is. And I don't know the sin. I don't know the struggle. I don't know the pits. I don't know the prisons. I don't know the negativity and all the bad that's in your life right now. But I do know this. That God works all things out. He works all things together for good. For good. The truth is you may feel like your life is in a downward spiral right now. And you may make the statement to yourself. By the way, the statements you make to yourself can greatly affect how you live. But you may make the statement to yourself in your life that there's no way anything good is going to come of this. Well, let me tell you something. Joseph's life was in a downward spiral for 14 plus years. Some, some even say it was 22 years. For 14 plus years, Joseph's life was in a, in a downward spiral, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And let me just say this believer, child of God this morning, no matter how bad life seems right now, lift up your head and look up because God has got a plan and God has got a reason. God has got a greater purpose for your life than what you understand and what you know. See, Joseph didn't understand. Joseph had no idea that all of this was working so that he would save, literally save his family's lives. They would have died in the famine with no food. Literally, God was working it for the good of sparing the lives of his family. God has a pathway cleared ahead for you. God has a plan. God has a purpose in your life. And that purpose is meant for good. The truth is, though, in order to comprehend, I love how the second point taught, kind of leaned upon the first point. If, we, if we're fearless and we fear not, we understand forgiveness, then we can say, God, you're in control, and vice versa. I love how this point kind of refers back. If God is in control, that means we don't have to know what good looks like. And I want to, slightly philosophical here. I think sometimes we hear verses like this in Genesis chapter 50 and like Romans chapter 8, and we hear all things work together for good. Okay, well, in my opinion, this is what good is. All things work together for good. So God, that means when I go in for this promotion at work that I'm getting it. Because you said all things work together for good. In my opinion, this is good. Right? 
Hey, God, you said all things work together for good. So my wayward uh, adult son or my wayward adult daughter that's been away from you, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to try to, and you know what? They're going to turn around. They're going to be in church with me next Sunday, and everything's going to be just fine and dandy. Because, God, that's good, and you said all things work together for good. You know what we're really doing there? Exactly what we just talked about about five minutes ago. We're putting ourselves on the throne of our lives. And we're saying, hey, God, you're going to work all things together for good, and here's exactly how you're going to do it. And this is when you're going to do it, and this is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. You know what the truth is? In order for us to, to comprehend all things working together for good, in order for us to comprehend God meaning it for good this morning, we have to understand that we might not even understand what good really looks like. We see good from our vantage point. God sees good from 30,000 feet. We see good from the trees. We're in the forest. We're right here. We can't, we're seeing like right here. We're not even sure what's past our hand. But God sees good from up here. From the beginning of your life to the end of your life. From eternity previous to eternity future. And when God says he's going to work it all out for good, let me just say this. Sometimes we may not understand or experience it until eternity. I'm not going to tell you today that the hurts and the pains of your past are going to go away. That's not what working everything out together for good means. It may mean that you don't get that fully restored until one day we're in heaven. But what it does mean is that while we're along this journey, we can say, God's meaning this for good. And this is a very cool thing to say, a very great thing to say. I don't know how that looks. I don't know how that feels. I don't know how that's going to happen. But God is going to work this out for good. God is going to work this out for good. God will. God will. There have been tragedies. There's, there have been, just in the last couple of weeks around our nation, the, the one family who lost all three of their children in a house fire. Let's be very honest. If that was you or if that was me, there's no way I could look at that and say, God meant that for good. I couldn't do that in my flesh. What do you mean, God? But you know, we don't know his plans and we don't know his ways because they're much higher than ours. You know what? God meaning that for good could be that, I don't know, maybe a reporter who is an agnostic or an atheist that might be a news reporter maybe gets assigned to that family story. I don't know. Maybe that news reporter's had family that have been praying for her or him for many, many years and nothing will get through and they hate God and they hate everything about, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, just maybe God uses that to soften the heart of a person who has rejected him. I don't know. God can do what he wants. At the end of the day, it's my job to say, I don't know how it looks. I don't even know what good looks like. But I trust you. And I know you're good. I know what that looks like. And you know what? You're working it together in my life for good. My life for good. It may not look, look good to me at the moment. It may not look good to me even in the future. But what I think is good doesn't matter. It's what you know is good. Remember this this morning. Satan may mean it for evil. 
Satan may mean your relationships for evil, your life for evil, the, the struggles you're going through for evil, the sin in your life for evil. Satan means it for evil, but God can use it and turn it out for, for good. For good. For good. I have loved looking through and studying and being, and being encouraged in this series. But we have drawn a parallel nearly every Sunday between Joseph and Jesus. And let me say this, God even wants to take your sin and my sin and you as a sinner and me as a sinner and he wants to turn it into good. Can I just say this and be very blunt? In our flesh, in our sin, as, 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 as children that are, that are away from God, as we are born in sin, there's nothing good in us. And you know what? God wants to take the evil and the sin that we were born into this world with, and he wants to transform it. The fact is this, if you were left to yourself and you were to die in your sin, the Bible tells us that there is no good that awaits you. Left to yourself in your sin and you die, there's eternal hellfire and damnation. You say, I didn't know this was a church like that. Well, I'm sorry. We do believe in that. It's called the Bible. In fact, what awaits us is not just hellfire and damnation, which is like, you know, what people, like preachers in the past, would scream and slobber about. But I think the worst part of that is eternal separation from God. The, the fire and the worms and all that stuff is just like, that's icing on the cake. <laughs> that's like a positive term. But, you know, the negative equivalent of icing on the cake. But you know what? At the, at the end of the day, left to ourselves in our sin, we die separated from God and we experience eternity in a place called hell. But just as Joseph offered complete, whole, 100% forgiveness to his brothers, Jesus, in the same way, offered you and me 100% complete total, whole forgiveness. You say, when will this forgiveness end? When I go back to doing my things and my sin and my past? No, 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 no. It will never end. This forgiveness is eternal. This forgiveness will, will continue on no matter what happens in your life. In fact, Jesus came and he came to earth and he lived a perfect life even though Jesus was tempted just like you were tempted. Jesus faced the same temptation that you face and that I face, yet he lived this life without sin. He lived a, a perfect life. In fact, Joseph was the only person recorded in Scripture where there's not a, a legitimate, that we know of, sin that was recorded in Scripture, another parallel to Jesus. But Jesus was falsely accused. Remember, Joseph was too. Jesus was taken into custody. Remember, Joseph was too. Remember, he was taken into custody for a crime that he did not commit. Remember, Joseph was too. Jesus was crucified on the cross. Remember, Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him. But Jesus was crucified. He laid down his life and he shed his blood on the cross. And he did that for you and for me. He was crucified on Calvary's cross for your sin and for my sin. He was buried and then three days later he arose. And when he rose again, he rose in victory over death 
and hell and sin and the grave. And today, because he rose in victory, he can offer you this one word. You know what this word is? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness for all the sins of your past. Forgiveness for all the sins of your present. Forgiveness for all the sins of your future. Forgiveness for your eternity. He can offer you forgiveness. And boy, that is good. You talking about all things working together for good? That me, a sinner, a wicked sinner, that me, a person who has, who has lived in, in such a way in my flesh that just acts like God is not even there. You mean me, a sinner, in all of my sin? You mean I can be reconciled to God, my creator, my perfect, holy creator? Oh, yes. It's simply through Jesus Christ. It's through the blood that was shed on the cross. It's through the forgiveness that he offers you after he rose again from the dead, rending death and hell powerless. There's forgiveness for you. There's forgiveness for you. No matter where you are in life, no matter how bad life is, no matter how bad you think you are, God means it for good. And God's plan is that, that, that all would come to repentance because he's not willing that any should die, that any should perish. God has a good plan for you. And today, if you've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers, I want to invite you to do that today. There's a lot of different words for it as we, as we speak Christianese and as we speak churchy or whatever. At the end of the day, in our sin, we are dying and we will be separated from God. And we need to be restored, resurrected. We need to be given life again. That life is called salvation. It's saving us from ourselves. It's saving us from our sin. It's saving us in the future from an eternity separated from God in hell. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is reconciling all of the bad because God meant it for good. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.